Thanks to both Mark and Mel for uh, their presentations today. And um, wanted to take a, a quick liberty. And uh, we, we sometimes get a question about, in the retrofit world, if there are other effective means of uh, doing retrofits that maybe aren't always or necessarily related to diesel specifically. Uh, so the question I have is for someone in the audience, if he's here, Ira, are you out here? Oh, there you are. Um, could you take uh, a quick minute or two and just talk to um, any natural gas technologies that might work in that vein? And then we'll jump right into questions from the audience. Thanks. Jason, thank you. Um, I'm Ira Dorfman. I'm representing uh, Mission Solutions. And um, Mel had um, made some reference to repowers as a, as a, um, a an alternative strategy to um, diesel emission mitigation programs. Actually, the technology that we've been working with qualifies for both. Um, and the reason is that uh, the, the engine that Emission Solutions is making is, a, is actually a natural gas engine that was built inside of a diesel engine block. So it, it, in fact, has qualified for a lot of the state and federal um, diesel um, uh, programs to uh, reduce, reduce emissions. So it's, it's sort of an interesting alternative because the prices are comparable to what Mel put up for some of, for some of the uh, strategies. And the emissions uh, reductions are significantly greater than some of the alternative strategies. Actually, um, this year, Emission Solutions will meet the 2010 PM and NOx standard, already, already meets the uh, 0.01 gram uh, PM standard. So I uh, just wanted to point out, and I appreciate your, your asking me, that um, instead of spending a lot of money um, with, with filters and traps, there, there might be another strategy that accomplishes the same thing for about the same amount of money and, and improves the emissions benefits. Thank you, uh, Ira. I, I really wanted to just get that point out there that there is another tool in the bag of tricks available. So with that, we've got um, just a few minutes before lunch. Steve, did you have a question? Yeah, um, just a couple comments on the diesel particulate filter and some questions. Uh, Mel, if you could, I know you're very familiar with it, if you could address these. Um, there's the whole issue of the cleaning needs for the diesel particulate filters. Uh, even though they're regenerating, there is the issue of getting rid of that ash. There's the equipment costs associated with that. I believe it's about $8,000 to buy one of those units. And then also, uh, can you comment on that particular comment about what that waste stream is, being that it's coming out of, uh, it's got precious metals, so how the different states are treating that. Um, then second, it's all in the same issue. Application of those retrofit systems um, to previous vehicles and the need to make sure that it's being done for that specific duty cycle, mm -hmm. not putting the wrong box on the wrong engine, uh, back pressure issues, uh, sensors to measure, all those things. And then after that, if you have any comments about the NOx issue with urea, because that's another ammonia-like product that you have to now store in a vehicle, and what do you do when it runs out? Yeah, the NOx issue, I'll start with that one first, is the most troublesome, and we have not seen a lot of new technologies coming out to deal with the NOx issue in a retrofit environment. In those cases, it's usually better to do a repower or try to get the reductions from 
changing over your fleet. And you're completely correct, the urea is, it has its own set of issues as well when you try to integrate that into a system, if you go with an SCR. Uh, lean NOx catalyst will help you a little, not as much as, as an SCR, but if you're looking at NOx reductions, you might think of that. And other people also use emulsified fuels when you uh, water down, you emulsify your fuels, you can get some NOx reduction just by doing that, but you lose some um, fuel efficiency that way. Uh, to go back to the question about, uh, I think it was the ash, you're completely correct that DPFs, a lot of the DPFs will have this buildup and you usually have to have this, uh, it's like a machine that shakes out the ash periodically and sometimes depending on how often you use your fleet, this might be once a year part of your maintenance program or it might need to be uh, more frequent or less frequent depending on how you're using that DPF on that particular machine. And that is treated as usually a hazardous waste. Most of the states, as far as I know, you have to treat that as a hazardous waste. So there is that cost. What I've seen a lot of uh, folks do is share the burden of that cost by having multiple agencies using that same machine. So you can save a little cost because you don't use it that often. You're going to you just use it maybe once a year for your, your thing. So if you have like three buses, you're like, eh, that's, that's crazy. So you usually partner with somebody else to either buy that piece of equipment that helps with that ash problem or you work with somebody else who has one and you can talk to folks about that. Um, and was there another part of that question? And then, okay. So he brought up some, and one last point is, is you should match your engine and your duty cycles and your back pressures with the proper DPF. Uh, it used to be that most of the DPFs, whether they were active or passive, you need the ultra low sulfur diesel and you need the temperatures and you need usually a, a newer machine um, and a newer engine. But now with the HUS system, it's like you can have cold machines, you can have stuff that's 1982. There's a lot more options now with this new uh, uh, fuel-injected uh, burn process with the hose. So, and I'm hoping other people will start kind of maybe exploring that DPF technology as well. Thanks. All right, we've got just uh, time for two quick questions remaining. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. And sure. Uh, my name is Jim Polk. I'm executive director of the Plug-In Hybrid Coalition of the Carolinas. And our mission is to create and aggregate demand for plug-in hybrids as they become available, uh, hopefully in, in the coming years. Uh, just a quick comment, and that is, uh, and I may have missed it in the slide, but the, the exciting, one of the exciting things that the Department of Energy came out with is that our nation has enough ample off-peak power to supply 84% of our passenger and light, uh, light truck uh, fleet out there. So it's really gotten the utilities excited and, and others that there's an infrastructure there today and there's power out there today uh, without building new power plants. Uh, my quick uh, question for Mark is, uh, you know, in your research you've probably spoken with and met with a lot of fleet managers who are probably here today. Um, what have you come across as their most uh, important concern or maybe where they see the greatest benefits for plug-in hybrids? I think the, uh, and, and we haven't dealt uh, much with fleet managers yet on this particular issue. I think uh, in some respects it's so new uh, to folks that uh, uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet. But I think the, uh, the cost savings related to the fuel economy is, is what, means the most to uh, fleet managers. Uh, when we go out and talk with stuff and, and when I dealt with uh, 
uh, cost issues and budget issues at a transit system in Knoxville. Uh, if somebody can talk to me about something that's going to perform and save money, uh, that's the bottom line. So I think that's where that focus will be. Great. Thank you. And it's a great comment about the off-peak power. Uh, working with Tennessee Valley Authority, that's certainly a big issue as we talked uh, with, with them about this. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Thank you. I'm Al Weed with Public Policy Virginia. And I asked this question to Mel, but um, we're told the conventional wisdom is that to manufacture an FFE engine that'll burn E85 <clears throat> costs two to $300 more at the manufacturing level. Yet there are so few FFEs on the road these days, and many of us are driving cars that aren't uh, E85 capable. Is there any work being done or any uh, research being done on retrofitting internal combustion engines so they can burn E85 so I don't have to buy a new car? Do you, do you want to talk to this? There, I'll say there is um, a lot of folks looking into that. Uh, right now, they're not EPA certified, so that's part of the issue as far or verified, I guess, the right term. To, in terms of uh, pollution issues. But I know, and I can't remember the date, but in the Clean Cities Network that our coalitions are part of, uh, we have a webcast coming up on that very issue. Uh, right now, there are none that would be legal, at least. Um, but it is a, a heavy-duty topic. I will say, when you say there are very few vehicles, there are a number of vehicles out there on the road now, over 6 million currently. And with the latest boom we've heard with the fuel, there's also come a, a, a large commitment from the original equipment manufacturers to produce a lot more of those. And I'm seeing them all over more and more, the newer, uh, you know, Chevy Tahoes or, you know, the, the Ford Taurus, et cetera. So, all right. With that, um, I'll ask Tobin to come back up and give us directions for lunch.